Williams, baby! Your Milwaukee Brewers sweep the San Diego Padres, the fathers of San Diego. And they are now at number one first place in the NL Central at 11-7. and seven. The Reds second at 9-8, and eight. the Cubs 8-9, and nine. then the Pirates 8-10, and 10. and the Cardinals at the basement 8-10. and 10. Nice to see as Omar, Omar Narvaez hits another dinger in the sixth inning. He uh, was proved to be the, the winning home run. Jace Peterson got another home run later on in the ninth, but then it would be a little trying times in the eighth inning as Boxberger would load the bases, eventually strike out one, and then J.P. Fireisen would come in, work out of trouble, send it to the ninth, Hader then struggled to find uh, the strike zone a little bit for at first, but then Goddard Don got his third save of the season, also the second of the series, and Brewers win, Brewers sweep. How's it feel, Rowdy? Feels great. Oh, sorry, buddy. Yeah, it feels great. Obviously, this is definitely not the outcome of the series that I thought was going no. to happen. I was hoping for one, maybe get two wins for the Milwaukee Brewers, especially because they're going out to the West Coast where they normally don't play very well. We got three! Especially in late night games and... You're dang right. They won all three, got the sweep against the Padres team that was expected to be the third best team in baseball win totals wise coming in this season. And overall for the last two series, I think you got to be pretty happy with it, even though you lost a series to the pirates. But Mm -hmm. if you, uh, if you would have told us, I think uh, told everyone that between this pirate and Padres series out of the six games that you would end up going four and two. I think everyone would have taken that. Totally. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, the- and I don't think anyone would have, uh, or no one should care that you lost, I guess, two out of three to Pittsburgh. You know, oh, like two, but hell, at the end of the day, for that six game stretch, you went four and two, and that's exactly yeah. where you want to be. Brewers 11 and seven now, number one in the NL Central. This is the shocking part because usually, and you called it on Monday. Uh, Before the series started, like, my God, the Brewers on the West Coast or basically any Wisconsin sports team on the West Coast, abysmal. But Brewers just swept the Padres. It was awesome. Well, and once again, starting pitching was phenomenal for the Milwaukee Brewers. Obviously, that started on Monday with Brandon Woodruff, carried over to Tuesday with Corbin Burns. And then, I mean, Adrian Hauser didn't look the greatest, but he was, again, it was serviceable. Serviceable. Four and two-thirds, gave up just two earned runs. And then the bullpen... Didn't give up a run. It was a little hectic in the eighth and the ninth. It was shaky. But the bullpen didn't give up a run. All right, so the J.P. Fireisen still rocking an ERA of zero. And for our Spanish-speaking friends, it's cero. Zero for J.P. Fireisen. He comes in with the bases loaded, only one out, and he was dealing. One strikeout, then two strikeouts. Did he right? Fire Eisen talks about the situation he entered to. Here you go. I mean, in that situation... Uh, for me, definitely, uh, it was a, an intense moment, but uh, it's one of those ones as a, as a reliever like you live for, and, and uh, it was it was a fun fun moment for me. No, dude, I mean, just the cojones. you got to be dragging back to the bullpen after you go into the bases loaded, strike out two guys, you know, coming with one out, just dragging the cojones back there. you got to be feeling really good about yourself if you're J.P. Fireisen. Uh, let's see here. Here's more from Fireisen saying they showed um, – so, Rowdy, we were talking real quick before the comments – we were talking about the bullpen, and that's probably been – has that been the weakest part of the Brewers this season so far? I know they got it done yesterday. It was, it was a little troublesome at times. They got it done still. But that has, has that been the weakest part of the Brewers? I think it has, especially after the first week of the season. Because it was, we were basically talking about the bats, right? Yeah. We were talking about the bats because they couldn't score any runs in the first week of the season. Nada. And then the bullpen – 
hadn't been great either, but the starting pitching has been phenomenal so far. Yes. I, I think between those three aspects so far of this team, you would have to say that the bullpen has probably been the worst because after that first week, the bats, not every single bat, but the bats have come around. They've started scoring more. They've raised that uh, runs per game from what it was below three to now. I believe it's in the, the mid fours. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's improved quite a bit since then. Now, granted, not every game are they scoring five plus yeah. runs, but overall the offense has come around and is, is producing much more than what it was the first week of the season. The bullpen is the one where, you're just still not seeing as much progress. So here's Fire Eisen on the bullpen. Uh, he says they're showing the type of bullpen they are in the series against the Padres. Now, Rowdy, Brewers win, before I play the comments, Brewers win 3-1 to one on Monday, and that was Brandon Woodruff giving up a run. Then they don't give up any runs against the Padres. And then yesterday with the sweep, it wasn't the bullpen that gave up any runs. It was uh, Adrian Hauser, the starting pitcher. So the bullpen as you just said a little bit ago, has not given up a run this series despite them being a, a question mark sometimes. Here is Fire Eisen on the type of bullpen they are. Yeah, I think that uh, definitely this series, I mean, it, it's early in the year and, and obviously guys guys are still getting their feet going a little bit underneath them. And so uh, I think that this series, especially after the last series uh, with the questions we had about the pen, I think that our guys showed that that we can uh, we can be the big pen that we're supposed to be. And he's right because yeah. going into that series – when we were talking on Monday morning, the Brewers bullpen when ranked by ERA was 24th in major league baseball. After that three game Padres series, they're currently 12. Nice. Nice little jump there. So a huge improvement and the ERA has went down nearly a full run. So the bullpen's 12th and the starting pitching rotation is number one in the majors with the lowest, with the lowest ERA. And you would say that coming into this season with what the Brewers had with obviously rookie of the year, Devin Williams, and multiple time relie- uh, reliever of the year in Josh Hader, <laughs> you figured that that back end would be extremely solid. And then, especially with some of the names that were also going to be in that bullpen, yeah, you would have hoped that if you're a Brewer fan, that it definitely would have been top ten, yes, if not higher. But so they're getting there. And but I also kind of like what he said. This series, they kind of took a step. Well, what else? Also, you saw. Devin Williams looks like he's getting healthier yeah. because his last few uh, appearances have looked much better than his first two weeks of the season. So one inning for Devin Williams, and he had struck out two, walked one, but JP, came away on J.P. Fireeyes and the guy that just had the comments, he has looked phenomenal and night and day better from what he was last That's year true. with his first appearance uh, in the big leagues with the Brewers. Zero. And then Josh Hader has been a constant in Josh Hader. If you can get those three guys to – well, one, to perform at the level you expect them at and fire Eisen to continue to be good, there's your seven, eight, nine right there. Totally. And that's what you're for the Brewers, they're always looking for that seven, eight, nine, right? Whether that be Jeffress, Hader, Canable, or whether that's at what was it the other time it was uh <sighs> Who was that? I'm blank. K Rod. I mean they always <laughs> but their goal you your goal should always be to have Trevor Hoffman seven, eight, nine where they're pretty lights out. And yeah. if if Devin Williams came back to where he was, which he looks like he's getting closer, especially with his last out. You're going to have it. It's it's looking good. And now you just have to fill in the rest of the bullpen. All right. So um, let's see here. Fire Eisen says there is confidence, though, throughout that. Uh, no, I think I played that one. Here's a, Let's do starting pitching, actually. Fire Eisen talks on starting pitching, uh, saying that they can sweep any team 
with the starting pitchers that they have. Anyone that has to face our starting five staff, I feel like is just like dreading it. I know that San Diego's had a tough stretch with starting pitchers, but I feel like these three games for them have been tougher than they're going to face coming up. So with our starting staff, I feel like we can go into any series and, and sweep teams with, with those guys that we have on the bump. Well, I mean, that's not stepping out on a limb, really. The starting pitching is the best in the majors, the lowest ERA. So, Fire Eyes, and you are totally right, dude. Uh, let's see here. And about this series, I have comments from Council now that I want to play. With this series... The Brewers just beat the San Diego Padres, who were as the Vegas eyes to start the season. Was it third or fourth? Third. Third best win total in the majors. They spent money, hand over fist, tons of money, bringing a collection of talent into San Diego. Over the last three off-seasons, it was nearly uh, three-quarters of a billion dollars. Yeah, they were just dishing out money left and right. The Brewers, if you look at the series sweep that they just had, you look at the the roster that they put out there each three games. If you're a casual Major League Baseball fan, hell, if you're just a casual Brewers fan, you probably don't recognize really anyone on this roster. They just beat the San Diego Padres, who broke the bank. The Brewers, I think, were saying that they wanted to save, and and they cut payroll, saving money. They just beat the Padres. They swept them. Council talks about guys who have just stepped up out of nowhere to win the series. I, I think you win series like this. And it's because you get contributions from a lot of people. We got big contributions from our two big pitchers and and, and Woody and uh, and Corbin, um, but a lot of other guys did really good things in the series, and that leads to a to a good week. You guys, well, I mean, to his point, McKinney Peterson. If, if you would have told me at the beginning of the year that the Brewers would sweep the Padres in an April series. In which the out the star, the four outfielders on the roster were Jackie Bradley Jr., Avisel Garcia, Billy McKinney, and Tyrone Taylor. I would laugh at you. I would laugh too. Where is Kane? Where yeah. Where is Christian Yelich? The Brewers will will sweep the Padres with Keston Hira not hitting and sitting on the bench. Low Kane, Christian Yelich, and Colton Wong on the IL, and a bunch of guys that uh, were almost FedEx oh, drivers. And, and the guys that are going to be coming up with clutch hits are going to be Omar Narvaez, Travis Shaw, Jace Peterson, and Billy McKinney. You'd be like, huh? What? It's not 420 you, anymore, we, dude. Put down the pipe. Yeah, are we sure this isn't the alternate site? <laughs> yes. I mean, and Tyrone Taylor, didn't he have a big hit the other day? This guy, I'm not kidding when I said uh, almost FedEx guys. Tyrone Taylor, and I love my FedEx guys. Tyrone Taylor, literally before the 2020 season, was waiting on a call from FedEx because he didn't think he was going to make the Brewers. He gets the phone call. It starts ringing. He thinks it's going to be, hey, here's your new route. But no, it's the Brewers. And now look at Tyrone Taylor. It's crazy of what the Brewers are doing without the big dogs who are on the IL. And that's why you have two questions. One, how long can they continue to do this with these players in the lineup? And two, when the hell are your all-stars coming back? Right. We just had a tweet from a guy, J.A. Krebs. He says, what's the word on Christian Yelich? Uh, there really isn't there really a word. There really hasn't been an update. They're, they were talking about they didn't know if he would be ready to be activated, which I believe he's eligible to be activated this Saturday against the Cubs, but now they're saying they might push him back to Monday yeah, that's the last thing that I heard. Uh, the only thing I saw was, um, uh, let's see here. This is from Adam McKelvey. Billy McKinney is giving the Brewers every reason to let Christian Yelich take the time he needs to recover from a bout of back stiffness. Yikes. I don't know, man. Well, the Brewers are winning without him, which is a, which is good, obviously. But you have no Yelly, you have no Locaine, 
Colton Wong is going to be back on Friday, I guess, um, for the Chicago Cubs series down in uh, AmFam Field South. Some call it Wrigley. But Christian Yelich, I, I don't know, Rowdy. It's Is it too early to get concerned? Or is it like, man, you couple well, in last think, year to this year? I don't think you're really missing Lorenzo Cain as much just because Jackie Bradley Jr. plays phenomenal outfield and you have a ton of depth in the outfield. Even before McKinney started swinging the bat extremely well or Tyrone Taylor was playing pretty well or having some good at-bats, you still had Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Cain, Jackie Bradley Jr., and Avisel Garcia. Those are all quality starting outfielders. Mm -hmm. So you had depth there. Now, granted, you, you don't want to play all season with two of your top four outfielders down, but in a pinch... You do have depth there for a reason. Yeah, I was here. I have the comments. Yelich is eligible, like you said, from the aisle on Saturday. And they say the Brugger, the, Bruggers, the Brewers are eager to get his bat back in the lineup. Council said that early on Tuesday. Uh, it was too early to know whether Yelich would be ready on that first day. Until then, Billy McKinney will get the opportunity to play. Council said about McKinney, he's a reason why we're thriving in a stretch where we're missing some really important players. That's what a team does. That's what a good team does. They need to get people to step up. Now, I'm curious to see what happens at second base when Colton Wong comes back. Because obviously he's, or sorry, I should say first base. Because Colton Wong's going to come back and play second base. No doubt about that. He's the second baseman. Yeah. He's the gold glover. He'll probably go back to the leadoff spot. But what do you do at first base? Because Keston here is struggling. still struggling mightily. Vogelbach, who, by the way, for pretty much his entire career, has been the guy that'll hit you know, 220, but hit 20, 25 bombs. here and there. He's been having some really good approaches at the plate. Yeah, he looks good. He's batting 219 right now, slugging 406. The, average, base percentage 306. the average still hasn't isn't there right now, but the eye test says he's having really good at bats, especially much better than Keston Hira. Ugh. So what do you do with Vogel back? Vogel back. Yeah, keep him at first base. I mean, once you ride the hot hand. I think you would have to, and then you would use Keston here as a pinch, pinch hitter. hitter. <laughs> then, until, then you cross your fingers that uh, he hits the ball. Until Vogelbacks extremely is really cooled down, or his at bats are not starting to look as good. I think you have to ride the hot hand. I mean, Gotta. at this, this point, isn't the feelings business. Yeah, at this point, when you don't have the Christian Yelichs, Lorenzo Canes, the Colton Wongs, you got to play every hot bat you have. Yeah, you have to because you don't have any names. No. Right now, though, Keston Hira, you smell that, Rowdy? P.U. I hope the guy can get it right. We're big we're big uh, Hira guys here. Rowdy been high I on him. Keston Hira since they drafted him. Rowdy was partying with his uh, his dad's best friend at a wedding last, was that last year or two years ago? I think two years now. You got to hit him up. Be like, yo, get us some tickets, bro. It's hard for us to get some, I guess. All right, we'll come back. Weird, too. <laughs> hey, don't forget, Brewers are off tonight, but starting tomorrow against the Chicago Cubs. You can catch every game right here on The Zone. 96.7 FM, 1670 AM. I know our affiliates out there listening right now. Check your local listings. But, Rowdy, what are our call letters? Yep, W-O-Z-N. What a beautiful signal it is, too. All right, so something that the bullpen of the Milwaukee Brewers coming into the season was a strength, or so we thought. Now it turns out the starting pitching is the strength. We questioned a little bit of the offense of the bats, but they seem to be coming around. And the bullpen, which was in flux to start the season, I know it's early, did not give up a single run as the Brewers sweep the Padres. 
uh, over Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Rowdy, what is up with this bullpen? Because couldn't figure it out, and now they haven't given up a run against one of the better teams in the majors, and we're still left kind of scratching our heads. Well, the one constant has got to be the starting pitching. Starting pitching has been phenomenal. Obviously, the statistics spell that out. Yeah. Then you look at the hitting, and now the hitting started off slow. It's starting to come around, and you know that you have guys like Christian Yelich, guys like Lorenzo Cain, guys like Colton Wong that are on the shelf right now that should come back, and at least Wong and Yelich should produce going forward. Yes. At least you would you would hope knock on, so. Knock on wood. So those two things seem to be improving and or good. The bullpen is the one that going into this Padre series – you thought was going to be a top 10 or better bullpen in the league. You had Josh Hader, one of the best relievers in baseball for the past three seasons. Indeed. You had Devin Williams, who was arguably the best reliever in baseball in the short and 60 game season. You thought you had all these pieces that would be a nice bullpen, but they struggled. But to your point, going into that Padre series, they were ranked 24th in <laughs> bullpen ERA Mm-mm-mm. in the major leagues. Now, after that, 12th. So, obviously, those three games were huge for the bullpen. Huge. But did it really pass your eye test? Because there was a lot of base so, runners that were stranded. Well, let's just go to yesterday's affair uh, as the Brewers sweep the Padres. The eighth inning, very testy. Brad Boxberger loads the bases, uh, eventually strikes one out. But then after that, he was loaded the bases. It was J.P. Fireisen came in, who has been a constant, right, for the Brewers bullpen. His ERA is zero, and he got out of a jam for Boxberger. And then uh, in the ninth, Hader comes up, who's the constant, right? And he had a hard time finding the strike zone, but he eventually got her done. But that eighth inning alone, Rowdy, there was an opportunity there for uh, the bullpen to really give it up. They didn't, which is positive. Yeah, they didn't. But there was still, it wasn't exactly shut down like you wanted to or you you expected to as you were up 4-2. to Uh, you expected the bullpen to come in, shut it down, and let's get out of here and have a you know a clean next two innings. No, no baseball is going to be perfect. It's a sport of failure, but I take it as a good sign, right, to be able to work out of it. See, yeah. I just okay if we go through and we go through this bullpen. So for how they have performed so far this season, you you either have to list them as good, bad, or unreliable. And obviously, unreliable means they've been a mixed pot. They've yes. been a mixed bag. So the first one, what did you do? What would you say for Brad Boxberger? Brad Boxberger, especially after last night when I got a little, uh, his ERA is what a three. Brad, Bo- and you said it was serviceable, good, 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 bad or unreliable. Good, bad or unreliable. Boxberger, God, unreliable. I'd put him in that category too. He's come in and he has struggled with control mm-hmm. and giving up some hits. He has been able to wiggle off the the hook and or they bring in someone like JP Fireisen who then gets him out of that inning. I'll say unreliable, but he's a guy that has been an all-star in the past, has been a, a pass closer, and I think he's definitely got some value to him being in the bullpen, but definitely has been unreliable, unreliable. so far this year. JP Fireisen. Good. I'll agree. Good. E- ERA zero. zero. Good. And now he did struggle in that extra inning game where they start with a runner on second base. He has struggled with his control at a couple a uh, couple times this year, but yes, but overall he's found ways good. to get her done. That slider is so much better than what it was last year. How about Josh Hader? Good, good. I, I think <laughs> great. We can, I think we can move past that yeah, one. That's a no brainer. Josh Lindblom, bad, bad. 
there's obviously a reason why he didn't make the starting rotation. Yes, and he's bad. He has not looked good in many of his outings at all this year. Negative. I mean, yes, he hasn't. Drew Rasmussen. (sighs) What was it again? Good, bad, or unreliable? Unreliable. Unreliable. I'm going with unreliable, too. He's a guy that you didn't see a ton of in that 60-game season. He's a younger uh, pitcher that they have some higher hopes for. Mm-hmm. You've seen flashes from him, but you've also seen some struggles. Yeah, so un- unreliable. I'll go unreliable. Not bad, unreliable. Brent Suter. I th- he's in between the... To me, he's in between unreliable and good. I'll, uh, yeah, well, for him, I think I'm with you on this one. <laughs> he's like in the, right in the middle he of is, that. He is, we'll just call him serviceable. He yeah, is, serviceable. He is what he is, and we're kind of breaking Which, our hey, he was, group of three. He was good yesterday. He had four strikeouts and one and one-third innings. He but was I don't want to see Brent Suter in the eighth inning pitching. No, neither do I. I, I want to see him as a long reliever. A long reliever or a middle reliever. Which was, he was, what's what he was yesterday. I don't need him to be in that eighth inning late reliever role. No, because we already saw him give up a game because of it. Devin Williams. I think he's in his own Good. category. I think he's in his own category too and it's like injury. Co- yeah. Coming back from injury. They're slow playing. He's him. he's he he's the reigning rookie of the year. He's good. He's just easing back in. Good. And then the final one so far in the current bullpen, Eric Yardley. Bad. I'll go with you on that one. He's been bad too. Bad. But I think some of these guys like the box burgers, like even Yardley to a point. They have they have upside because you've seen them be better. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're not pitching well now, but you've seen them better in the past. So I think that there's a, a little bit more to be hopeful for. And then Devin Williams getting back to anything close to his twenty twenty is going to make Which that bullpen I think he will. even better. But even if you think about the Brewers bullpen, they're going to have reinforcements coming up, hopefully by June. Because you look at some of the guys that they have on the IL. You have Justin Topa on the IL. He was a guy that was starting to get later innings that threw extremely hard with a lot of movement on it. He goes on the IL. Hopefully, you get him back in June. Bobby Wall's a guy that has He's been on, the too, right? on this Brewers team for the since 2019 that they've been hoping to get something for. Yeah. But again, he finds himself on the IL. That was his problem. Yeah, Yeah, that was the problem when he was with the Mets. A lot of potential, but couldn't stay healthy. But another, uh, the thing that I don't think has been brought up much is that Arcia trade. Yeah. Oh, because the the arms that came for Arcia. Chad Sabaka is a guy that he will be a low leverage reliever that you will see at probably in June or July once you see the bullpen get a little tired out from how it normally does with the Brewers. He will be a guy that you see. And Patrick Weigel is another guy that has an electric arm. Kind of reminds me of a younger uh, Adrian Hauser where those guys are going to be able to give you innings. And let's not forget Ray Black. Yeah, what's, what's up with him? Also a guy that has struggled with injury, has has struggled with stuff. But that's just a bunch of names that hopefully in the next month and change are guys you're going to see be able to come up, take the take some of the load off of some of the relievers that I feel like have being been used yeah. quite a bit in the first three to four weeks. All right, let's uh good stuff there from Rowdy. So when it comes to the NFL, I wonder if you guys care about this. Did you guys see that now? You can change numbers, like they're opening up the numbers on the NFL for yeah, running backs, wide receivers. Yeah, they're and, kind of doing it like, oh, has that passed? Like you can now be yeah. a single digit number. Yeah, it, and it not is official. Just quarterbacks and kickers. It is official. I just I don't even really get why it was much of a rule to begin with. Yeah, I, everyone's I like freaking out about it. I'm like, what does it matter? Like, yeah, in the NFL, for some reason, 
I, I think it was for Ella eligibility issues well for certain like, packages and certain sets when players are out there i understand but it was but... for like only certain numbers were eligible to be pass catchers yeah so like that, here that's like way back when the nfl approved a relaxation of rules for the numbers that players of certain positions can wear because of extended practice squads also i think the chiefs had like retired just about every number they could possibly get their hand if anyone had like a certain a good career like we'll retire your number so they're running out of numbers, too. So running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, defensive backs, and linebackers can all wear number uh, numbers Excuse me, in the single digits now if they choose. So based on pre-existing NFL rules, players who want – how about this? This is funny. I read it this morning. Uh, players who want to change their numbers this season will have to buy out the inventory of the NFL's manufacturing partners – so this wouldn't apply to players who give notice in 2021 that they want their number changed in 2022. But if you want your number changed coming up this season, you have to buy out the inventory of the NFL's manufacturing partners. That's funny. So if, you want, if you're that hard up to change your number, you got to go buy all your jerseys that have your old number on it to change it to your new number. <laughs> Why do people care about this? Why is everyone so upset? I saw everyone online just freaking out. People are, well, because they have so-and-so's number. But their college number was this, and it was a single digit, so they're probably going to change it, and now I have to go buy a new jersey. Here's the thing. You don't. You don't you, have to go buy a new jersey. You can keep rocking the same jersey. Crazy how that works out. It's like like when I see someone, like our guy Dwight Love from New Jersey calls in. He still wears around his Jeff Janis jersey. Hey, there you go. I see people wearing, league. like, I saw someone wearing a Mark Chimura jersey. I'm like, first of all, that's kind of a tough look. I got a, I got a buddy who's got his, uh, well, it's from when he was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's getting pretty worn out, though. Like, that's kind of a tough he's one. A, he's got a chewy jersey. Like, yeah, I've seen like all kinds of people wearing these like jerseys of Packers that have not played or have then gone on to play for other teams, and they're still rocking them proud. So just because the number's different, what does it matter? But I was uh, reading here about potential new number changes. Delvin Cook, current number 33, he apparently wants to change his number to 4. Ezekiel Elliott wants to go to 21 to 15. You can't take the number of the greatest Viking ever. <laughs> well... They he's didn't retire have, that from far? He's going to have to... <laughs> take a look at the <laughs> NFC Championship game? Yeah, that'd, be look a little, that'd look a little off, wouldn't it? Elvin Kamara wants to go from 41 to 6. Stephon Diggs wants to go to 14 to 1. And this is the one that everyone I saw... This is where the big stink was coming from. Um, the Browns. First of all, the Browns are stinky. Cleveland <laughs> does stink. Odell Beckham Jr. wants to go from 13 to 3. And I saw a lot of Odell Beckham fans being like, Well, but I have his 13 jersey. I don't want to have to buy his 3 jersey. But the RJ's point, it does does it really matter? So a lot of people out there freaking out about the number change. There's some more rule changes I want to bring up. Uh, like here, Jair Alexander for the Packers, number 23. Obviously, he wants to rock the number 10 because he was talking about he as Louisville was the cornerback rocking the number 10. Yeah. But he would have to convince Jordan Love <laughs> to give up his number 10. Or would he? What was Jordan Love in uh, college? Uh, I'd have to go look. I don't. I don't remember. I'd have to go see. Uh, you look that up quick. We the research department on it. Or Woody. Hey, guys. Tap on the glass. Let him know. If that uh, potential uh, trade of Jordan Love is a real thing, with yeah. that quote-unquote notebook that has a potential trade between the Packers and the Patriots. <laughs> won't have to worry about Yeah, hey, you won't even have to care. Yeah. Ten will be available. Uh, let's see If here. Aaron Rodgers got his way, I bet ten would be available. Jordan Love was number ten. In college. So there you go, Utah State. Let's go to the phones quick. Welcome to the show. Who's this? You could be zero. Evo. It's me. What? I have part two for you. What? Okay. I saw 
something online that kind of describes you, but here it says, here we go. Another day of being wonderful. Me, and that's you. It's cute, fluffy, and adorable with just the hint of evil psycho and ninja assassin. Scott, what the hell kind of meme page are you looking at? No, it's a, it's a cat. Oh, thank you, Scott. I do love me and some it, cats. See you, buddy. No, I just, I just figured I'd come up with something fun. Scott, you're you're always fun. We love you, kid. Take care, guys. See you, buddy. That's a dynamite drop in there from Scott the Berryman. What was that? That's called a dynamite drop in. So Jair Alexander rocked the number ten at Louisville. Jordan Love rocked the number ten at Utah State. But now Jair Alexander wants the ten, uh, and he's got to take it away from Jordan Love. Mm, I'm gonna say, who do you think's got a little more pull here? Jair Alexander or a guy that uh, has been upgraded from a tracksuit to now uh He actually got backup. his pads. Who's got the more pull here? I'm going to go but, Jair Alexander. But you are talking about the potential future of the franchise. That is yeah. true. Or as Rowdy had brought up, and he brought up a couple of days ago too, about the conspiracy theory out there that the New England Patriots left uh, like a draft card out saying that they were going to trade for and acquire Jordan Love. Then you wouldn't have to worry about any of this. I don't understand the people getting all upset about the rule, of, you know, the the jersey number changes. Just continue to wear the jersey you already have. Like, it's people do it every day, all the time. I see it. And then there is this. Oh, real quick. Welcome to the show. Who's this? Hey, it's Bob. How are you guys doing this hey, morning? Hey, Bobby. Doing good, brother. How are you? Living the dream, baby. Living the dream. Hell yeah. So this was a conversation I was thinking in my head. Who wanted Jordan Love's prior number to be 12? And him rolling over to Rodgers and saying, hey, you know, Shabir wants my number. Would you mind giving me your number? That's the conversation I want to hear. Of Jordan Love trying to take the number 12? Yeah. That would be a hell of a conversation, Bobby. You think Aaron Rodgers would laugh him out of the room? No, I think Rodgers would be very, you know, yeah, no sweat. I'll, I'll change numbers, whatever, whatever you need. Just just cater to Jordan Love like the Packers are already doing, the Packers brass? I, absolutely. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I think Aaron Rodgers would be all right with uh, fronting the money to get a number 12 embroidered on the back of uh, Jordan Love's tracksuit. <laughs> Oof, that's brutal. Bob, um, that... hey, do, you, do you give a crap about this number thing? Like People are freaking out about it. Not in the least. Yeah, you're like a big, you you're said... a big uh, merchandise guy. You love uh, all your uh, memorabilia. Just more shit to buy for me, I guess. Yeah, that's right, baby. So, I think it's a joke. There was something I was going to ask you about the Badgers, and yeah. I was going to move the conversation. I just thought it was funny. And now it's completely... Well, we were talking about the wide brain. receivers for the Badgers, and then the schedule. Does that jog your memory at all? No, I apologize. There hey, Bobby, here's I the thing. Have... Scotty already just had a second call today. If you remember it, you call in again for a second call today. You know, yeah, I, I, I'm not a two-time caller. But, oh, there was one other thing I was going to mention, speaking of Scotty. Yeah. So I, I haven't been able to call in because I'm training a new guy. Ugh. And so I'm trying to bring him over to the 1617. Wait, hang, yeah, hang, hang on, Bobby, real quick. Part of the training should be him dialing the digits, 608-321-1670, by the way. Well, there's just, you know, there was a couple of Charlie calls. With little Scott trivia, and then um, Dave from Monona went off on his dollar menu thing yesterday. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, I am not sure that I'm going to be able to swing him back over. So it's like, what is going on with this radio station? And I was like, 
Well, you know, it's kind of an acquired taste. It's a, ma- it's a madhouse. To, right. And I said, you have to understand, There's a, it's a completely different flavor in this wheelhouse. Yeah, here's the thing, Bob. So, I'm not a guy that sits around with a suit and tie going X's and O's and pushing a pencil and like listening to beat writers who think they're better than us. We're just a bunch of dudes who love to talk sports and some random other stuff. Yeah, so I, I told him, I said, you gotta, you got to hang in there because it takes takes a little getting used to, but uh, I did have to laugh. He kept looking at me like, what is going on here? Yeah, we're shaking people out of their trances left and right, Bobby. That guy sounds like I he's tranced it. into just old man sports talk radio, and that's uh, no, one, no one has fun doing that. No, and I just wanted to put a bug in your ear. We had a conversation before the Bill Michaels show, and I haven't heard from you since. Oh, remind me again. I know we had a conversation, but what what, what was uh, what was I supposed to follow up on? I forget. Uh, I was going to sponsor something. Oh for the my god! I forgot about that. I wrote listeners. it down. And yes, you did say you wrote it down. Yeah, I have it here. I got to find it again. I have it. That's that's just bad on your part, there, Evo. I know. You well, know, here's the thing, a Bobby. Business that, a business that wants to support your program. Here's the thing, Bobby. Four, Four twenty just happened, so my my memory is shot right now. Send me an email, okay, would you? I, I can do that. I can't decide which is worse. Rowdy betting on the Cubs or you completely dishing me? Well, I do have to, I already used my apology for this month, Bob, and I already apologized to you once this year. It's got to be Rowdy betting on the Cubs. Yeah, but I'm actually – I'm trying to put green in your pocket. Ooh, that's true. That You know what? And I'm trying to give you green. Hey, Bob, here's I, the other thing. He's trying to win money to give you money. Which was worse, Nelson betting against the Badgers or Nelson betting on the Chicago Cubs? Oh, betting against the Badgers. Yeah, yeah but was it, was it profitable? Easy. Was it profitable? It, you know, integrity was. doesn't integrity doesn't have a price in my world. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very good point. Integrity does not have a price, Bobby. So, well, send me that email. All right, I'll, I'll send you an email. Much love, gentlemen. Right, much love, Bobby. Good stuff. And tell that guy to get his head out of his ass and start listening more, okay? <laughs> See you, buddy. I will let him know that you made a specific comment to reference to him. Yeah, stay, get your head out of your ass, okay? I, I can do that. All right, thanks, Bobby. <laughs> Later, bye. See you, buddy. Good stuff there. All right, so more of this rule change. The NFL owners approved a series of new rules uh, yesterday, one that will expand the influence of replay officials and ongoing demands from coaches for more oversight of game day officials. Because what is the biggest head scratcher and the thing that drives us the most mad in the NFL or sports in general? It's the missed blown calls, especially with the replay and all of the different angles, yet you still get it wrong. And I would say that's worse. That's the worst in baseball. But NFL is right there, too. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. So the owners rejected proposals for a full-time sky judge, uh, including one that the Ravens were really uh, wanting to get done, that would have created a booth umpire. Instead, the owners took a more, they say, modest step of giving the existing replay officials who sit in the press box of each stadium the authority to consult with referees on certain specific objective aspects of play when clear and obvious video evidence is present. My question is, why don't you already do this already? Why can't all the officials be in full contact with each other and give each other, you know, what has happened, especially when they have all these different angles? The replay officials are, like, it's maddening of the lack of common sense that the NFL puts down when it comes to clear and obvious calls. Correct. It is nuts. And now they're just like, well, we don't want to do that. We'll just let uh, you guys consult with them a little more. I feel like all of this replay and rule stuff has really just started after that Kelvin Johnson catch that wasn't a catch. 
Like, yeah. did, did you ever really the two cheeks down, he, but not a catch? Yeah, and then he he like <laughs> put the ball down as he was getting yeah, up. Yeah, to put himself up. Ever since like that play, I feel like all you talk about is replay and certain rules. I don't ever remember really talking a ton about replay and or rules before that. Yeah, that's yeah. the first time I can ever remember hearing complete the process of a catch. <sighs> Excuse me? I thought catching it with two hands, landing on the ground, and getting up was completing the process of the catch. Yeah. Like Kelvin Johnson on that catch was yeah. inbounds. He had the catch, and then when he was he turned over to get up, he put the ball down and used it to get himself up off the ground yeah. and then place the ball down. It's insane. And they said, didn't complete the catch, no touchdown. Yeah. So real quick before we get like, to our guy yeah. Owen Reese about the draft, they say replay, replay officials will not be able to throw flags or reverse calls on their own, but they can now offer referees advice based on what they've seen on broadcast replays in the areas of possession, completed or intercepted passes, the location of the ball relative to the boundary or end line, and whether a player is down by contact. Say previously, replay officials had been limited in participating in plays that were under review. So coaches will not have to throw challenge flags to prompt that advice, which some replay officials have been giving referees informally for years. Well, yes, they are. They can't make the call. It's not. Can they, so can they buzz down now? Is uh, that what they can do? There's. Uh, we're going to have to, just because we're up against the break, we'll get back to this. That, that sounded like it didn't change anything. They say... Uh, the chairman of the NFL competition committee said neither the committee nor owners felt comfortable with adding in an additional official with full authority. Because they didn't want to pay him. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So uh, Let's see here. We have the technology. We have really good technology. It sits in the booth with the replay official, and it sits in New York. I think that we thought, and what the coaches subcommittee thought, was let's use that technology and try to improve the crew with not bringing more people in. That's dumb. Like... When it comes to catching the ball, who would have thought that catching the ball in the NFL would be such a controversy now? Yeah. Like, I, doesn't it seem simple? You catch the ball, and there's two feet on the ground. So that means now every play, the replay booth, is going to be looking at it. So you don't have to throw a flag to challenge it. It should be challenged automatically. Hey, so did, it's going to disrupt the flow of the game. Before we hit the break here, did Des Bryant catch the ball? No. Rowdy, did Des catch it? I actually thought he did. He did. He caught it. He totally did. But <laughs> in the eyes of a Packers fan and the NFL rules. Didn't have it. He didn't have it. All right, when it comes to these rules that the NFL has uh, tweaked and changed a little bit, the biggest stink is getting over the number rules. Uh, who cares, really? I mean, just wear a jersey you've always worn. Uh, they also are uh, eliminating overtime in preseason games. <laughs> Changed a rule that will now force a loss of down if two passes are completed behind the line of scrimmage. Approved a rule change that ensures the enforcement of all accepted penalties during successive try attempts to find. Well, there's just all of these are so just mundane rules. The one that I hate the most is the replay officials. Do you guys think that it would be a bad thing if they had another full time replay official to be on there, like the sky cam, the full time sky judge? Do you think that'd be a bad no, thing? No, but do you remember when the XFL first started up and they played their first few weeks where everyone was actually watching them? Yeah. And they had the secondary referee up in the sky box where they had all of them mic'd up so you yeah. could hear what he was going through, what he saw on the broadcast. That was awesome. I feel like. Everyone liked that because it, it almost like pulled the curtain back to where you could see what this guy was looking at. 
you got to see the different angles and what he thought about each angle. And then you got to hear him buzz down to the referee and say, because of this, this, and this, we're going with this call. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the transparency, everybody loved it. Now you don't want that. I don't get it. The mic'd up referees. Well, the, the NFL doesn't want it because half the time the calls are made because they're supposed to be made. Well, was it the Saints Vikings game in the playoffs, right? Where didn't see it. Don't didn't see it. If you have mic'd up officials, it would be the best thing for the game because people would A stop thinking maybe it's not rigged half the time and B give you as Rowdy was saying some clarity and some insight of why they made their dumbass decisions. Because yeah. we have had to put up with the Dean Blandinos and the Mike Pereiras. <laughs> We're always wrong. For a decade now, and literally when you see them come up and come on the screen, flip a coin because they'll be right half the time too. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you should have a best yeah, on that. Yeah, they are professionals. Yep. It's insane. It's the re- why they don't have. You could have players mic'd up on the field. That's always fun. Who doesn't love hearing the players mic'd up on the field? Why not have referees mic'd up that way? Just like the XFL did. Great point, Rowdy. That you can determine why they are making the usually wrong call that they're making. Well, it's like uh, the NHL guy who got caught on the hot mic explaining. Yeah, I had to make that call because it was a make good. Yeah, and then he fi- got fired. And then he the got fired day. for doing make good calls. Yeah, everybody knows it. We happens. know they exist. Oh, it just drives me nuts when you have Mike Pereira up there and he's acting like he knows everything. He goes, "Whoa, uh, this right here, this should be a catch." And then they come back like incomplete. Back, like, back in my day, you're that the, was a catch. You're the expert, and you're the one talking about all these rules, and then you still are wrong. Yeah, it's insanity that they don't give you a little more insight. Ex- this isn't like the 70s and the 80s. Hell, even the 90s. We yep. have the technology. You can have a mic the size of like the, the head of a pin, and you can have it there, and it picks up stuff. Yeah, and you know, it, it's kind of funny. Like the XFL, even the first t- go-around, I mean, they brought in the Skycam into, <laughs> into football. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, their kickoff this last, time, this last season, I mean – that to reduce injuries and all that kind of stuff on kickoffs. Yeah. Ha, where you have the rest of your team down the field five yards away from the blockers and all that. Uh, instead of eliminating kickoffs, there's your new kickoff. You know, like the XFL for what they are on the field, off the field, they've come up with some pretty good ideas on how to improve, you know, v- the viewership as well as in game, like, here, so, progressiveness. Well, I mean, they're trying to eliminate, you know, the kickoffs, and they're like, well, well, if we do this, we do that. Well, they did do this. Uh, the NFL has approved a one-year experiment in an attempt to make it easier to recover onside kicks. So in 2021, the receiving team on kickoffs was were limited to nine players within 25 yards of the ball. Last season, NFL teams recovered only three of 67 onside kicks, the lowest total and recovery rate since at least 2001. And I think two of those were the Atlanta Falcons in one game. Yeah, yeah was that the Cowboys? Seriously. Yeah. Seriously. So, uh, Speak about, talk about getting lucky. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. They're the lowest since 2001. As a result, the Eagles proposed that teams be given in an, an option to gain 15 yards on one offensive play from their own 25-yard line to retain possession after a score. So dumb. That is dumb. What are they doing? They're ruining football. What are they doing? Yeah. Do you think like, this is worse than when they allowed you to challenge penalties? Like the, because <laughs> that was a disaster. Yeah. When it was clear that it well, it stemmed from that uh, playoff game between the Rams yeah. and the Saints, where clearly the Rams player, Vikings and Saints. I thought it was the Rams. 
I'm sorry? Wasn't it the Vikings and Saints? The the pass interference that wasn't? In the playoffs? No, was it the Rams? I'm pretty sure it was the Rams. Well, whatever it was, uh, it was yeah, a stupid call. I know what you're talking about. Because then wasn't think... it the Rams went to the Super Bowl on that play? Oh, yeah. What am I? I oh, I'm thinking of the Minnesota, the the miracle. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was Rams Saints. You're correct. But yeah, where he clearly forgive our confusion knocks yeah, my in, bad. knocks into the Saint receiver. The yeah. King says, "Come on, RC." And <laughs> and obviously there was no penalty thrown, and everyone's just like sitting there, like how how did every single referee on the field miss this? It was clearly a guy getting hit early before the football got there. Saints weren't going to the Super. And then they allow you to <laughs> yeah, then they allow you to challenge penalties, and that that next year was just a disaster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The NFL, it's crazy how many times the refs got it right, even when they didn't. I think the, the what would be the best is you just have maybe another full-time official and you go and look at the actual screens of all the cameras that are literally everywhere, littered all over the field, <laughs> and you say, use a little common sense, be like, oh, well, that's a catch. Oh, oh, well, that was pass interference. Well, look at that. And then you're like, oh, well, we got, it just seems so simple. But they every year they seem to get more and more just farther away from what football is. See, I would it, it would be crazy just to go back. Obviously, you can't do it, but you go back in time and you watch some of those big time catches over the years that are like historic catches and see <laughs> would that actually be a catch today? Didn't complete it. <laughs> oh, it looks like that might have. He might not have completely got his hands under that football to catch it. Well, if if we were to go back, and I see it wiggling yeah. a little bit. I don't think he had control as he went out of bounds. Well, if you go look at the first ever Lambo leap, you would say that that. <laughs> It never should have bounds. happened. Actually, uh, he was out of Reggie White was out of bounds. There, there's a couple uh, collegiate ones too. If you go back, uh, uh, the the play in the Stanford uh, oh, Cal game, yeah, yeah, guy was down. Yeah, uh, mm. you you go back to Drew Brees's game against the Badgers at Camp Randall. Uh, Bobby Myers trapped the ball in the end zone to, <laughs> for the interception that ended the game. And I'm not saying take away uh, replay. Completely. I'm right. just saying you need to come up with organized rules of what is a catch or what is a pass interference call. So it is easy to say, boom, 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 you mean the, this is it. The addendum 17 articles A through B. It's longer than war and peace. A through G that explain like, what a catch is. Like, <laughs> when they start talking about the pass interference, when they're like, well, he didn't grab him, but... I think it was with, uh, weird enough, Jeff Janis, where it wasn't called one time, where he's like, well, he technically didn't direct his body. When it was like, well, the guy was clearly like pushing him. Yeah. I was like, what are you even talking about? He didn't direct his body. Excuse me? And I welcome in from Forbes.com, our guy, Rob Reichel. Talk some green and gold. Robbie, what's up, my friend? Well, I don't get in a lot of words when I'm on a conversation with Rowdy, just just so you know, Evo, this is why I continue to tell you guys to give him his own show because he has he, he has a lot of views and a lot of opinions, and I, I'm happy to hear him most, uh, most Thursday morning. Well, Rob, I know off air I can never get a word in either when Rowdy starts talking. <laughs> and then when I'm, like, you know, helping out the Bill Michaels show, it's, it's, it's stories after stories, and you're just like, after an hour, you're like, man, I think I know your life more than you do. But, Rob, <laughs> I, that's crazy to me because when you take a breath and you can go for 20 minutes, Rob, so how does it work between you and Nelly in the pre-conversations? Like, do you guys fight for like air, like phone time or what? Yeah, there there aren't a lot of a lot of dead patches in that conversation. But, <laughs> but like I said, I I think Rowdy can can probably match me, you know, on and on not taking a breath and 
and going three and a half minutes on a subject <laughs> or a tangent, and, and he has plenty of those. God bless him for it. Because... Oh yeah, trust me, I know, I know, I know all too well, Robbie. <laughs> hey Rob, can you believe this? The draft is seven days away. Well, I, I can believe it, and I'm I'm thrilled it's getting here because I feel like I've been writing about it for about two months, Evo, <laughs> and it, it 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 does start to wear you out, and 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 you talk to so many people, and you read so many things, and. And you go over so many different bios and scenarios and mock drafts and this and that that by this time I do have some draft fatigue and I love the draft <laughs> I really do I've always loved the draft I just it's it's time and I I can't wait for next Thursday Evo just just to get it here and. You know, fans can meet their next batch of Packers, and, and we'll go from there. Well, Rob, you're right. We had another guy on earlier today from Bucky Smith Quarter and, uh, you know, doing a draft guide for Cheesehead TV. His name's Owen Reese, and Owen was like, I have draft fatigue, too. I'm ready for it to, like, get here and be over with. I am, like, my head spinning. All right, Rob, so with all that uh, information you got swirling around that noggin of yours, what do you think the Packers are going to do with that pick number 29? I, I still just keep hammering offensive line. If I if I had to pick one positional group, Evo, it's it, it's certainly the group where not, you know not just this year but over the past two years they've taken the most hits. You know, Lindsley's the big name, obviously that that left him in free agency, and you have to replace the center. But then you look at the depth that they lost to Evo. I mean, Rick Wagner gave them eight nine solid games last year as is kind of a fill in tackle. Um, Lane Taylor left a week and a half ago to, to Houston, and and again, if, we've said this two years in a row. But you know, if, if Lane Taylor had been healthy coming into this this training camp in 2021, Evo, I, I really think he had a chance. Again, the key with him was always health, but I, I really think he had a chance to be a starting guard with with what they've lost here this this off season. So you're talking three of their top seven, three of their top eight from a year ago. You throw on Brian Balaga, Evo, who they you know, another guy like Lindsay who went out to the Chargers in, in the past 13, 14 months here, and, and they're thin up there. It, it, they've got to start finding some reinforcements. You, you, you combine the fact that David Bakhtiari, I, I think it's a stretch that he'd be ready for week one. Yeah. I mean, nothing's come out of Green Bay in terms of the medical, but, but coming off an ACL around Christmas time, Evo, I mean, they're going to be remarkably careful with him. He's, he's their franchise. They're going to think five, six years down the road. They're not going to think, you know, week two or three against the Lions or something like that. So um, there are a lot of questions on that offensive line as, as, as we look to the season, they really need. I wouldn't be shocked, Evo, if they went O line, O line to start the draft. And, and um, it, it, it's a terrific year for offensive linemen. There's, there's going to be a lot of guys on the board. I think at 29 that could probably probably be plug and play type players, guys they could go and get and, and start from from day one. If, if there's a guy Brian Gutekunst is absolutely in love with, Evo. Don't be surprised to see him jump up from you know twenty nine to twenty or twenty nine to twenty two or something like that to make sure he gets his guy. If you know if if, if one of these standouts, you know, the kid from USC, for example, Vera Tucker, if he if he's falling on the board and he's sitting there at twenty, go get him right. So um, Gutekunst has ten draft picks to play with Evo. Um, they they don't have ten spots on that roster for draft picks at this point in time. It's, mm. it's a really solid football team, top to bottom. I don't think they need more than 
six or seven guys coming out of this draft um, in terms of plugging and filling holes. I think they need to go for quality, not quantity, in this draft. And, and that's why, why I expect Gutekunst to be pretty active in, in, in the trade area of this draft. Well, Rob, I think we brought this up last week. Gutekunst has traded in every single first round of his you know young career as a GM for the Packers. I'm pretty sure, has he not? Like He's, he's always wheeling and dealing. He absolutely has, and he's gone up, Evo, to, to get players, right? It was He, he initially went down in 2019, um, and, and then he went back up to get Jair Alexander. And in 2020, he went up to get Savage, and, and then, you know, who's turned out to be a nice player for him at, at safety. And then last year, he went up for his quarterback, Jordan Love. So um, it certainly is, you know, if, if, if we're tracing history and following patterns of, of what guys like to do, He's he's not going to be patient, and he's not going to you know wait and hope that that his guy gets there. He, he's going to go up and attack this thing and, and get his guy, much like much like Ron Wolf did a quarter century ago. If if there was a guy he wanted, he went out and got it. And and I like that level of aggressiveness. I mean, yeah. you take Love last year that that was clearly his guy at, at, at quarterback. There was a lot of rumblings and a lot of a lot of talk that that the Colts were were going to jump up late in that first round ahead of Green Bay and 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 take uh, Jordan Love and Gutekunst made sure that didn't happen and he went up four spots and and got the quarterback instead. So I mean, there's a lot of talk in, in inner circles. These teams kind of have a hunch what other teams are going to do. And like I said, I I think if if the right guy that he really wants is sitting there. Um, you know, in the early 20s, and he's not confident that guy's going to get there at 29. Don't be shocked to see Gutekunst jump up and do it again. Yeah, trading up to get another quarterback, I bet. Hey, Robbie, <laughs> when it comes to Jordan Love, though, I don't know if you've seen this. It kind of went viral a little bit, and if you haven't seen it, we'll just move on to the next question. But there was this this picture that came out. It was a sheet from uh, Gillette Nation, it's called. It was a sheet for the Patriots. And it had a trade involving Jordan Love. It says the details are the Patriots trade down from pick 15 to acquire Love, the 29th pick, and a fourth-round pick, 142 with the Packers. Have you seen that? And if you haven't or if you have, whichever, could you see it happening? I, no, I, I actually have not seen that, Evo. I didn't, I'll DM uh, it to you. Didn't, didn't see, no, I, I, I get the gist of it now after, after you explained it, but to your question, no, I absolutely don't see a scenario where, where that's going to happen. This, this, this is the general manager's guy. This is his guy moving forward. He, he's going to put all his chips into the middle of the pot, and and this is this is who he's going to live and die with. Much like Ted Thompson, you know, chose to live or die with with uh, Aaron. Much like Ron Wolf, like I talked about earlier, lived and lived and died with Brett Favre. This 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 is this is going to be Brian Gutekunst's legacy right now, and you wow. know. The only way I see that not happening, Evo, is if if we get to camp and Jordan Love is just brutal. If if the preseason <laughs> he is, he is just awful, and and they come to an agreement, you know, that they come to a reckoning internally that you know what they're not going to win football games with with him at quarterback. They're they're not going to be a playoff team. They're not going to be a Super Bowl team. But I, you know, assuming that does not happen, that this is a serviceable or better than that uh, quarterback, Evo, there there is no question in my mind that Jordan Love is the guy. They're they're all going to hang their hats on moving forward and and hope to make uh, you know and hope to have another decade of, of of success with because boy they've they've hit it on the last two 
And if they somehow hit it on this third guy in a row here with Love Evil, I mean, they're, they're set up for 40 straight years of unbelievable football. And and if they didn't hit it on him and they run Aaron out of town maybe a year or two too early, Evil, they're all going to be on the unemployment line. But but this is their guy, and, 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 and this, this is who they're going to move forward with. I just – Rob Reichel joining us right now from Forbes.com. You can also check him out on Twitter at Rob Reichel. Robbie, it's just – you know, when they drafted Aaron Rodgers, there was a lot of stink about it because everyone was enamored and in love with Brett Favre. But then you kind of knew what you had with Rodgers, right? You had a guy that probably should have been the number one, you know, the first pick, uh, not Alex Smith, when you go seeing, uh, you know, the careers and whatnot. Like, coming out of college, you're like, this is the guy. Obviously fell down uh, to the Packers. What's the vibe on Jordan Love, though? Like, go back to when they drafted Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, you were like, I don't know if they're going to replace Brett Favre, but I think we had a guy that's serviceable. Uh, do you have a feeling like that at all with Jordan Love? Well, let me just clear up a, a misnomer really quick, Evil. I mean, it it took two-plus years for Aaron Rodgers to convince people in the organization that he was going to be their guy moving forward because in the summer of 05 and then throughout 06, he was not a very good quarterback. And Well, then the Mike McCarthy I, School of Quarterbacking corrected him. There, there you go. Right, the highly successful coach fixed the quarterback, didn't he? Um, look at the career. But th- I mean, th- there, there was a lot that needed to be fixed. If you remember with Aaron, he had the high, you know, high release point, the, the the really weird throwing motion coming from the Tedford School out there at Cal. Um, there were a lot of scouts and teams in the NFL. Evil. I mean, one of the reasons he fell was just you know the arrogance and the attitude that he portrayed in a lot of the pre-draft stuff, and, and he scared a lot of teams away by, you know, really what, what is still one of the knocks on Aaron today is is a lot of people felt that he was going to come in and act like he was smarter than everybody in the organization. Now, again, we, we know he probably is, but, but there's one <laughs> thing about, you know, being smarter than everybody else and then, and then rubbing it in their face or showing it to them every single day. So, you know, that was one of the knocks on Aaron. But then on the, on the flip side, too, Evo, you know, he was pretty bad in 05 and 06. He, he was on the field for 20 possessions in 05, his rookie season through pre, through uh, training camp in, in the preseason games, Evo, and he led them to one field goal. I mean, they had three points in 20 possessions. It, it, was, it was pretty brutal. I mean, it, it wasn't until 07, the summer of 07, and then that Cowboys game in 07 on the Thursday night when he stepped in and lit it up when he replaced Brett that they really thought, okay, we have something here and we hit it. With Jordan Love, Evo, I, I still think – and. and you know, don't buy into what anybody else tells you out there. I only nobody buy in. Knows. I only buy into what Rob Reichel tells me. I'm just telling you, Evo. Nobody knows, and people can say he had a rough summer, this and that. For the most part, Evo, he didn't have a summer. He they didn't have a they didn't have an OTA. They you know they didn't have a mini camp. He he came back to you know it was virtual and um I mean it was totally wasted. He didn't have preseason games like he's going to have this summer. He's got a year in the playbook now. Um, it's like I said, it, it, it's a critical summer for him. It, it, he's got to he's got to win some people over, I'm sure, inside that organization. The general manager, nobody more than Gutekunst, you know, wants to see him succeed and, and have a great summer. Um, but but there are a lot of people he's going to have to convince that he's the future right now, moving forward. He, he clearly didn't do that. Let, let, I'll be honest, people, he didn't do that last year. But but no. again, I think the deck was remarkably stacked against him. I think the, the deck was stacked against. You know, a lot of rookies and a lot of rookie quarterbacks, and for example, out there, he was, you know, he was third on the depth chart. He didn't get the reps that you know he probably needed and certainly wanted. He'll get way more this 
this year and this summer. It'll be his team in, in preseason, Evo. He'll be, he'll be out there in the four preseason games, or three, I guess, now, you know, with, with the number one offense, because Aaron's not going to play more than a series here or there. So, I mean, we're, we're going to know a lot more in August than we do today. Right now, though, Evo, I, I, I do think he's still a mystery, not only to, to the Packers, but to the rest of the league. Robbie, we always appreciate your time, man. I can't believe it. A week from today is going to be draft day. Not the Kevin Costner movie, but draft day, Robbie. I can't wait, my dude. Uh, just have yeah, brewers to let, hang let, us let, over. Let's come back next. Let, let, let's come back next week and, and have a lot of fun and, and give our picks and let let the listeners give picks and. And, 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 and see who can drill this thing, Evo. Rob, we've done uh, the draft predictor every year for like five, six years. Only one person has ever corrected or uh, correctly picked the first pick. That was Kenny Clark uh, when he was drafted. Everyone else has gotten it wrong ever since. Nice, nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, I know it, 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 it's tough when they're in the late 20s, but, um, you know, I, I think we can typically narrow it down to four, five, six guys, and we'll come back next week and we'll probably break some of those guys down. It'll be fun. I love it, Rob. And before I let you go, how about that sweep? The Brewers over the Padres, Robbie. Can they just give Corbin Burns the Cy Young right now? They're renaming the award, the Corbin Burns Award, coming up. I'd be all for that. <laughs> yep, yep. Rob, always appreciate right, it. Buddy. We'll keep uh, keeping on at Forbes.com and at Rob Reichel on Twitter. Have a good day, brother. Have a great day. Thanks, people. There he is, Rob Reichel. I'm not a big mock draft guy. I'm like, I'm not going to sit around doing like every round of every team of who's going to be this and who's there. I like to, you know, dive into like what I think the Packers' needs are, then look at guys that maybe fit the bill. I have never once successfully picked a Packers draft pick uh, ever in since I started Sports Talk Radio and trying to like, oh, the Packers will get this guy here. Now, usually the Packers are always drafting, you know, later on in the first round just because they're usually pretty good. So pick number 29, kind of a crapshoot. Uh, Rowdy, you kind of the same way, like you're not going to dissect every team and their needs and what they do, right? Just what you think the Packers need and what players kind of plug that hole, right? Yeah, normally I'll go through and read probably the profiles and bios and breakdowns on, now not every single position, but roughly the top 35 players at every single position. Yeah, And I'll go through them. Obviously, I'll look at the Packers' needs and or wants. And I will basically just go through and say, hey, I think I wouldn't mind if the Packers selected this guy in the first round. And then there'd be a list of like four or five guys, say, at different positions that I wouldn't mind if they take there. And I'll do that basically from round one through round seven. But I'm not specifically coming up with an exact mock draft of rounds one through seven or have you ever gotten a, uh, a pick right i think you've gotten one or two right if I've, I remember you I've was gotten, it eddie lace i've gotten a few right for the packers in the first round the biggest one being rogers i was a huge oh Cal that's what you're rogers yeah. haha clinton dix was another one and i think clay matthews was the third one have you ever been well i mean you must have because you picked it right have you ever been excited about a packers draft pick because every time the packers are up to uh pick in, in recent memory, it's always like a big, like someone like took the air out of the room. You're like, oh, what? When was I excited for? Have you ever uh, been excited about first a first round, round pick? It was when uh, I wanted HaHa Clinton Dix or I wanted Aaron Rodgers and all of a sudden they selected him so <laughs> because tw- it was who I wanted. 2014, you were excited. And then 2005. And then the year that they had Clay Matthews. But I think they had two first round picks that yeah, year. Yeah, what, BJ Raji, then Matthews later yeah. on in the first round. So I guess three years. So <laughs> I've never... I've had more years where I've been disappointed. Oh my God, yeah. So that's what I, was, uh, what I wanted to talk about a little bit here is have you ever been excited about a Packers draft pick in the first round? Ever been like, yes! This is the one. This is the one I think is going to do it for us. I really never have. I'd say Haha Clinton Dix was I was excited about. 
Um, and then outside of that, like even when the Packers picked Aaron Rodgers, I was such and still am a huge Brett Favre fan. Uh, the player that is Brett Favre of watching him out there play the game, you're like, dude, yes, hell yeah. So when they picked Rodgers, like many Packer fans, it was a kind of like a revolt. Like you didn't want to hurl. There did what? How dare they force number four uh, out of the organization and show him the door? I've only was really excited in recent memory about haha Clinton Dix. Not only for the name and the jokes, but also the player that he was too. Uh, you know, coming in out of Alabama. So I was last excited in 2014. Other than that, I've been utterly disappointed usually uh, for the Green Bay Packers. And not like like okay, Jordan Love. Let's just go back to last year. That was a huge disappointment. I was very disappointed and still am in the See, pick. It's funny that we're obviously we're talking about 2020 as the most recent draft, but when you talk about being excited or disappointed, obviously you were I well me, I was a little disappointed because I thought there were better options on the board Same. for the Packers to take. But there was also remember when we had Rob Reichel on the Thursday that Thursday morning and He's like, but guys, don't be surprised if they take a quarterback. And there was, was like, just that little part of me that said, my goodness, if they do take a quarterback. And I didn't want one. No. I didn't think they were actually going to take one. No. But there was just that little part saying, maybe they will, though. Because whatever you want the Packers to do or think that's like smart and what they are, uh, you know, like you get inside the mind of, being Brian Gutekunst, you're like, okay, they're going to do this. They do. They, they never do what you think they're going to do. When they got Jordan Love, okay, I understood like you know planning for the future or whatever. But I wasn't a I wasn't a hundred percent mad and upset. It was like I was a, just disappointed. I see what they're doing here, but I would have liked to go Same. other directions. Like I wasn't mad. I was just disappointed. And, and 20, to trade up to do so yeah. was the head so scratch. The whole 2020 draft is kind of a. I mean, I get it for the future of Jordan Love, the future with A.J. Dillon. No, no, what you got with Josiah DeGuara. Kamal Martin was injured, right? John Running ended up looking good. Outside of that, it's a head-scratcher. But go back to 2019. I was upset. I was upset, too, in 2019. When they, tra- when they yeah, they went up and got Rashawn Gary, a guy injured out of Michigan who... Well, and he, he had... So pretty much for most of his career, he had played to his profile. Yeah. A guy with a ton of athletic ability and a ton of traits but never really lived up to it on the field, had a bad shoulder, had some injury issues. Couldn't even put in his contact lenses, his own contacts. Yeah, struggled at, potentially would struggle at transitioning to a different position from a 4-3 defensive end to an outside linebacker in a 3-4. At the time when it happened, I was was like livid. I'm like, you did what? And I'll say even this, I'm glad to see Rashawn Gary has progressed and has become a guy that's actually was probably the second best guy in their outside linebacker rotation last year. But I'm just talking about immediate reaction and when when it happened on draft day. Like Rashawn oh. Gary I was like I was like but now yes, I'm glad that he's flourishing into the player that, you know, the Packers but thought still, he could be. I feel like for where you selected him at number twelve overall, he has a lot to still grow into for that selection. Yeah, you know, when you get a number twelve pick, you're like you're thinking to yourself, Oh my God, this you guy's gonna a be contributor a, a day now. one. And obviously he wasn't that, but now he is contributing. So Rashawn Gary was like, Jesus. And then in the first round, I guess they had Darnell Savage Jr. as well. Um, I was I was lukewarm, I guess. On Darn- I wasn't excited, but I wasn't disappointed. I'm like, okay, I could see this guy, you know, you know, watching Badger games and watching Big Ten football. I could see this guy being decent. So, I didn't I didn't mind Darnell Savage. I was just so upset with Rashawn Gary. Yeah. Uh, and then, I feel like that's pretty evident if you've listened to the show in the last yeah, I'm two right, years. I'm right there with you. Uh, Jair Alexander in 2018? I, I didn't 
have real a real opinion on Jair Alexander, but I did like the fact that they got two corners in the first two rounds because I thought that that was needed. Yeah, obviously it's been working out for uh, Jair Alexander. And then you go down. This is the one. Now, in 2017, they, they did have a first-round pick. This one will live in infamy <laughs> until the end of time, until the robots take us over and murder us all. This will live in infamy when they had a first-round pick, but then they traded back. And instead of getting T.J. Watt, they traded back and ended up getting Kevin King. And with that trade back, they also used that to uh, get Vince Beagle. You see how uh, that Kevin King, 2017 draft class, just one guy is still a Packer. That's Aaron Jones. Uh, yeah, and Kevin King. But, yeah, Aaron right, Jones. Yeah, sorry. Oh, you're good. I mean, here's the thing about Kevin King. We don't want him to, we didn't want him to be They just brought him back. <laughs> they but, just I mean, brought him back. I was actually okay with that trade. I, I thought it made sense. They were still looking for a corner at the time. And I, I didn't necessarily say, hey, I want Kevin King, but I understood the thinking. I understood it too, but I was so pissed that they didn't, and everyone still is. It's Again, the, it'll never die. Remember when the Packers could have had T.J. Watt and said they traded back and got Kevin King and Vince Beagle? See, a hundred. there was a, a nice little faction of people that said that right when it happened. Yeah, you had to like talk yourself into it. I feel like a lot of people understood what the Packers were doing, picking up a draft pick and still getting a, a – because there were a ton of corners well, still like, left on the Vince board. Vince Beagle's just as good as T.J. Watt in college, and the only reason T.J. Watt's heralded is because of his name. Well, I feel like all the uh, the majority of you're the talking yourself into it that got angry about that pick got angry about that pick after year one was completed, or AKA hindsight twenty twenty on that one. Didn't 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 the anger for that pick or lack thereof? I should say, TJ Watt. Didn't that anger hasn't it steadily grown? Like let the hate flow through you. It's like I'm turning from the light side of the force to the dark side. I'm like turning into the Emperor Palpatine. The more I see TJ Watt play, and the more I see Kevin King play, and Vince Beagle, who was like rehabbing injury and he's down in Miami, which you know he obviously not the Packers. He has been serviceable though when on the field. King? Not, no, no, Beagle. Oh, not yeah. I mean, Packers, he's not with the Packers though. With every other team he played for. This, this adds more to the anger of the pick. You see TJ Watt, who's like looking like they're gonna get a bust ready for him in Canton, Ohio. And now we got Kevin King, who in the biggest stage gets burned, and one of the reasons why. So that just continues the anger. So 2017, I think, was the most angry I've been at the Packers, and they lacked their of draft pick in the first round. 2016, uh, they get Kenny Clark in the first round out of UCLA. Very young, obviously. I was. I didn't have an opinion on it. Neither did I. I'm like, a lot of upside, really young. Um, wasn't even 21 yet. And you're like, well, the the intangibles, the growth of this guy could be huge. And he's turned into a phenom. I will say there were two picks that I really liked, though, from that draft. And it was trading up to go get Jason Spriggs <laughs> because they never trade up. <laughs> and he was a hell of an offensive lineman yeah, at Indiana. Indiana. And then well, happened? that just didn't happen in the NFL. He's so other, bad the Bears signed him. <laughs> the other one that I really liked was the Blake Martinez selection. Yeah, Blake Martinez. He turned out to be a pretty solid middle linebacker. Yeah, just solid. You know, wasn't blowing away with speed or nothing, but he was solid. God, I celebrated when they traded up to take Jason Spriggs. Yeah, that's that, that celebration didn't last long. Yikes. Uh, go back to 2015, you had Demarius Randall uh, converting converting him. Um, Randall at times showed flashes, but then eventually, I mean, it all stemmed from, I think it was the Bears game, but at halftime he like left Lambeau Field. Remember that? He yep. just left. Hated it. I didn't like that pick. I thought it was, 
it was again, it was a Ted Thompson pick where you drafted a safety and then told him you're going to play corner. Yeah. It just didn't make any sense to me. I think Randall is now with the Seattle Seahawks. and the, I couldn't even tell you. And I think they are getting him back to uh, the safety position, if I remember correctly. Well, he, I mean, he ended up going to a Pro Bowl playing safety for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, he was with the Seahawks. Yeah, there you go. The Seahawks signed Randall time. Uh, his Didn't flame, even know. his flame burned pretty bright, and then he left Lambeau Field. Said, "You know what? Screw you guys. I'm going him." And then the team took a vote and like wanted to kick him out. Uh, and then eventually he did. Let's see. Then we, we were both excited about the 2014 first round pick of Haha Clinton Dix. Yep, that was a no. That, that was a no brainer. Uh, obviously, round two. Just real quick to talk about that draft class in round two. Uh, you had a guy named Devonte Adams. Remember, remember Devontae, the first couple of years of Devontae Adams? We even had listeners who don't listen to the show anymore because they're very soft individuals, would call him Drop Vontae Adams and wanted him cut off the Green Bay Packers. Man, would hate to be that person or that you know camp who had talked about Drop Vontae Adams. I also Rowdy. liked in that draft that they selected Aberderis. I thought it was some nice <laughs> Wisconsin flavor, which I think he could have had a career if he didn't have concussion Well, wasn't issues. that the first time in a long time that the Packers had uh, selected someone from Wisconsin in the draft and Jared Aberderis? And I, I think it had been a, a draft. They had Jeff Janis, too, in the seventh I round. Don't Janis Rises. I never told you this either, but I actually like Jeff Janis in that draft, too, as you a never. late round. You never told me that. That's because no. I got off the bandwagon pretty fast. <laughs> Out of Saginaw Valley State, the no, product. I thought, yeah, when we were when you, like looking at those drafts, it was a guy that had a lot of speed and had a lot of production at a lower level. He's hot, nasty speed. And at the end of a draft, all you look for is certain traits where they could become something. But yeah, then you saw kind of what Janice really was. And hey, I he, got. Let's just say I I like the pick at the time for potential. I got off the train pretty quick. Well, it's a seventh rounder. It's like one of those guys that's toiling, toiling <laughs> around. You you hope he does good, but you know in your heart of hearts that eventually he's going to be showing the door. Now he has a tire shop in Michigan. Uh, twenty thirteen hated this one. First round, Dayton Jones. Yeah, I wasn't the biggest fan, but I actually didn't mind the draft because I love that they got Eddie Lacy. I was a big Eddie Lacy guy. Wanted, yeah, I like Lacy too. Wanted him badly for the Packers, and they select him in the second round. But I yeah, like Jonathan Franklin too in the fourth round. I remember being excited yeah, about that. Yeah, if he that. didn't, uh, I believe he like broke his neck or something yeah. to that extent. Yeah, with his vertebra. Injury. I was a big uh, Micah Hyde was a, a pick that Micah I liked Hyde a beast. because obviously you saw a lot of him at Iowa. Saw he was versatile. Saw he was a hey, good Rowdy, player. In a perfect world, you draft and develop and keep your own players. Well, you drafted and developed Micah Hyde, and then he went off to be a Pro Bowler elsewhere. I'll say this though about Dayton Jones. Dayton Jones was one of the scariest looking human beings. If you just saw him with a shirt off, like on a street, he's a freak of nature, dude. He was but, yoked, but. He did not play very well. No. Uh, Eddie, I, you know, I like that. David Bakhtiari, obviously, coming on 2013 as well. J.C. Treader. Um, that but was those a decent were guys draft. that you didn't see, you didn't even really see coming. No. And then all of a sudden, Treader's been a long time or was a long time center in the league. I don't know if he's still in the league. And Bakhtiari, obviously, he's Bakhtiari. Yeah. No, Treader is in the league because he's, yeah, he's the head of the NFL players. Yeah. Season. And then how about this of 2012? This <sighs> out of USC, Nick Perry. I didn't have an opinion on Nick Perry. I had a big opinion when they signed on that contract extension. They gave him that extra deal after, uh, you know, he sucked for, what was it, four years. And then they're like, yeah, we're, we're going to give you that uh, next contract deal. Then he's <sighs> Nick Perry. Jarrell Worthy after that, Rowdy. But, hey, Casey Hayward and Mike Daniels. That was a nice little pickup there. Uh, 2011, here's the one. Derek Sherrod. What did you think? You know, I really didn't have an opinion on this one either. 
Because it was a time when they needed offensive line. My God. And they probably drafted about the worst one they possibly could. (laughs) (laughs) We won't go back too much farther. I mean, out of that draft, he had Randall Cobb, too, in the second round. Obviously, you know, Phenom uh, for the Packers, called Hero. And then we'll just go back to 2010. I'll go with 2009. 2010, you got Brian Balaga. Yeah, I actually didn't didn't mind that pick. You saw Brian Balaga playing at Iowa. He was a solid, sturdy tackle. Again, it was when they needed offensive line. In 2010, you go Balaga. 2011, you went Sherrod, and one of them hit. Yeah, one of them did. And then 2009, finishing up uh, B.J. Raji and Clay Matthews. Loved the Clay Matthews at the time, obviously. B.J. Raji, I was... I was lukewarm on Indifferent, Raji, but I, I love the Clay Matthews selection. B.J. Raji, I mean, you got the dance, Chicago Bears, NFC Championship game, teach him how to Raji, and then he eventually quit football to go help out his family. Uh, retired a little too soon, but hey, he's a family man. Clay Matthews, though, phenomenal. When it goes to, you know, we went back all the way to 2009, have you ever really been excited about a Packers first-round pick? We had Clay Matthews, we said, All right, so and ha-ha Clinton Dix. You go back a little bit farther, I actually really liked A.J. Hawk. I thought he was an animal I like I'm an A.J. Hawk fan. So, no, I guess I liked 2005 with Rodgers. I liked A.J. Hawk in 06. And I liked Clay Matthews in 09, even though he was the second pick. And HaHa Clinton Dix would be, I guess, the four big ones that I liked. But I do have one that was the absolute, even more angry than Rashawn Gary. Angry. When it happened. What was that? And that was Justin Harrell. Oh, God. And, now, and it's not even a hindsight oh, 2020 for, for me on this one. It was a, I hated that pick from the start. He's and injured. I, and I had my father and friends that will back me up on this one. I hated Justin Harrell from the start. And you know who was available that I wanted? It was like, I wanted him so, so bad. Big leg Greg. Greg Olson. My buddy even told, tried to call me out. Third leg Greg. That's what it was. My buddy tried to call me out and say, no way did you want Greg Olson then over like a guy, like a Justin Harrell. I go, no, seriously. He goes, he wasn't even available. I go, I'll bet you anything right now he was on the board. I'm passionate about this. And he goes, all right. And then he looked it up, and of course he was on the board because I remember watching it. I remember getting mad. I remember exactly where I was in Wisconsin Rapids Lincoln cafeteria for Greco Freestyle State Wrestling. Uh, let's see here. We have a question. Did Nelson hate Harold or Gary? Rashawn Gary more. Harold. <laughs> he wanted third leg Greg, folks. Would have been nice. Yeah, he would have been a great tight end, but then I guess the next year they selected Jermichael Finley. Yeah, which worked out until he got that, you know, neck injury. Have you ever truly been excited about a Packers pick? More times than not, it's no in the first round. You're always left confused and scratching your head or angry. So I guess we'll go in the last, what, 15, 16 years since Aaron Rodgers was selected, I got four that I was excited about. (laughs) I guarantee you next week, next Thursday, there's going to be a head scratcher. You'll be like, huh? They did what? Are you serious? And then hopefully it'll work out. Last one I was really upset about, Rashawn Gary. Seems to be seems to be doing better now. Seems to be working out. All right, we'll come back. Four excited ones, two angry ones. Everything else you're just like, I can, whatever. I can see it. Or, okay, or it's like it unsexy, not too exciting. But that's the Packers' M.O. 